I don't know if you watched that video for the last minute, but we can pretty much close in prayer because that's my sermon. Uh, but we're not going to. So, hey, it is good to have you with us uh, today. Those of you in Skagit, so good to be with you again. We understand you had an amazing uh, five-year celebration last weekend. Not on only that, but what you did a week ago on Saturday with Camp Corey and just blessing them with your partner ministry there. So excited for that. Those of you uh, who might be watching in Boca Raton, got the, the message that uh, everyone's safe down there and um, that you did lose power and, and air conditioning. And here's the case. You can probably have church without power, but not without air conditioning. So if you're watching online, it's good to have you, those of you joining us as well. Now, there's this, uh, this thing, I suppose you call it a thing. It's a, in education, in sales, in marketing, anytime there's leadership training, anytime you're trying to transmit any kind of information, there's this thing that is referred to as the curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge. There's been a lot of psychology and, and tests and, and um, experiments that have come about with this idea of curse of knowledge. And the curse of knowledge is this, not that knowing things is bad, but the curse of knowledge is this, this cognitive bias that occurs when one individual is communicating to another individual and unknowingly assumes that that individual has the background to understand what they're communicating. It's what you're experiencing right now. You're saying, I don't have a clue what you just said. <laughs> it, 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 let me try and explain it this way. If you've ever gone to a mechanic and you don't know a lot about cars like me, and they go into great details of what's wrong with your car and all this stuff, and they're talking all this gibberish and you don't have a clue. That's what they just assume because it's their world. They know it. If you've ever gone to a doctor, a physician, a, a physical therapist, and they start using technical terms and talk about what's going on in your body and you don't have a clue. I experienced this recently. I went to a physical therapist because of a, a running injury, and I decided to not look dumb, so I used all the technical terms I could in explaining what was going on. I used terms like hamstring, <laughs> gluteus maximus, piriformis, and then I was out of, out of uh, vocabulary. So he did some things and different things. He said, and then he, started, he just assumes, because I used big words like hamstring, that I knew what he's talking about. He's talking about anterior flexors and adductors and range of motion and degrees and all this with the IT band and the, 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 the fibrous uh, scar tissue. And, and, and at the end of it all, he says, does that make sense? And I'm just going to use this as a confession time. I lied to him. I said, yeah. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. The reality was my butt hurt and the faster and the farther I ran, it hurt more. That's it. You know, or, or if you've ever gone to someone who's just a great photographer, and you said, can you help me take better pictures? And they start talking about f-stop and apertures and ISO settings, and you're going, no, wait, I just got rid of my Polaroid camera. Hold on a second. I'm still singing, Mama, don't take my Kodachrome away. I got a phone, and they're talking about all of this stuff. What I've learned to do when, when I experience this, because I experience this in a lot of different things, with insurance, whatever, when they're talking way above my head, I always say, can you just stop? Can you talk to me like I'm a kindergartner? And, and, and that helps. Unless it's technology, then I say, can you talk to me like I'm 70 years old? Now, no offense if you're 70 or older. It's just with the technology thing. The kindergartners know more than... Anyway, Einstein said this. Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And what happens with this curse of knowledge, and it's, it, it's exacerbated the more someone knows... The more they're an expert in an area, the more they just assume people know the terminology, understand this stuff. And, and Einstein, who's you know, arguably one of the most brilliant ever, he says, if you can't say it simply, understandably, clearly, then you don't understand it fully. He's not talking about being simplistic. 
fact, Einstein would also say, everything should be as simple as possible, but not simpler. Don't dumb it down to where you miss the point. Simple, but not simplistic. So recently, I watched a TED Talk uh, from a guy named Dominic uh, Wallerman, and the, the thing that caught my eye was the TED Talk was called um, Quantum Physics for a Seven-Year-Old. I'm thinking, I might understand this one. And so he goes through, and he, and he explains some stuff, and at the end, he talks about how he explains very complex issues, and he understands this curse of knowledge. And in his four principles, he says, one of them is, don't go too far down the rabbit hole. What he means by that is, in any area, there are nuanced details. There are, you know, complexities. I mean, you don't become a physicist just by watching a YouTube video. There are years and years. And so, but you can go so far down there that you completely lose who you're trying to communicate to. Now, the reason I tell you all of this is that very often, Bible teachers, theologians, seminary professors, pastors are guilty of this. And sometimes we're just trying to show off. We just want you to know how smart we are. We use the two Greek words that we do know, and then we're out of vocabulary. Some people know a lot more. In fact, there was a guy far, way more smart than me, has his doctorate, the whole deal. He was asked to explain salvation in two minutes or less, and I was listening to this, and I was so confused by the end, I wasn't even sure if I was a Christian. And I'm a pastor anyway, all of this stuff. Now, this isn't new. It's not new in the area of theology and, and, and biblical stuff or, or religion, spiritual matters. In Jesus' day, the ones who knew the most, the teachers of the law, that was their job to know the law, the Pharisees who had memorized the entire Pentateuch and beyond, they had all of this knowledge. And they had uh, all the complexities of the 613 laws that were, that were in the law of Moses. And they knew the, the written Torah, and they knew the oral tradition, and they knew the Midrash, which was the written down of the, of the oral tradition of the interpretation of the written Torah. And then later there would be the, the, uh, the Mishnah, and just all of this stuff. And it became very complex, and it would lose. Here were these very people that are supposed to be leading people to God, and yet with their curse of knowledge, with all their details, they were making it more difficult. And Jesus even referred to this one time. When he was talking about these teachers of the law and the Pharisees, he said, they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They put all this burden of these, this knowledge and these rules and this legalism and all these things, and they're not helping. And Jesus is saying, these are the people that should be taking us closer and connecting us with God, and yet because of all of their knowledge, they're making us further from God. They're putting it as a barrier. They're making it more difficult for people to know God than to know God. And what I love so much about Jesus as he spells all this out about these wise, knowledgeable people, is that Jesus, he would come along, and Jesus would simplify and clarify. He wouldn't get simplistic, but he would make it really understandable. He would simplify things. For instance, the 613 laws of Moses, which, you know, they are there. He would come to this point, and we'll look at this later in, in the sermon, where he would say, here's what's really important. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbors. And then he would say this, all the law and the prophets hang on these two. Well, like I'm like, okay, I can remember these two. I can't remember the 613 and trying to keep those straight and trying to follow them, but I can work on these two. Or he would clarify things. Like he would say, um, 
let me show you what the Father is like. Let me show you what God is really like. And, and he would say, you know, just watch, watch me and you'll see the heart of God. Because God and I are one. And if you see how I do, you've seen the Father. And he would just clarify things. And he would, he would speak in a way that people understood. You, if you ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will discover that the primary way that Jesus taught was he would tell stories. He would just tell these stories. They're called parables. And they were just stories. And some of the people loved them. You know what I always wonder? I wonder if there were ever church people that would hear Jesus talk, and they'd say, you know, he's just not deep enough for me. I'm just not being fed. You know, he's just so seeker-sensitive. He just wants to draw a big crowd, which he did. I liked it better when John the Baptist was here and left. I mean, because some preachers have that said about them. I've heard. I wonder if it was ever said about Jesus. Because he would just tell these stories. And what's amazing about Jesus is that he didn't have, he didn't have to preach long sermons. Um, this is just, I'm indicting myself right and left today. Like, like Jesus would be able to say things in such a concise manner. What has been the mainstay prayer for Christianity for 2,000 years? It's the Lord's Prayer, and it's so short. How about the Beatitudes, this, this countercultural way of living in the kingdom in our world? And it's so, the words are so short, so concise, so simple and clear. Not simplistic, but it's so clear. And what I want us to do for the next couple of weeks is that I want us to look at a little phrase. It's, it's really, it's two profound words that Jesus would say over and over again. It's not a mystery, it's... If you watched the intro video or if you looked at your sermon notes, the two words are, follow me. Yeah, it has nothing to do with Twitter. It's just as simple words that Jesus would say, so clear. And I want us to spend a couple weeks just looking at what does that mean and why would he say that and who did he say that to and how do we live that out in our lives? Now, if you're right now starting to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm ready to check out because I know about follow me. Will you hold on just for, just for give me three minutes here? Because I want to give you the bottom line of this sermon and this series, kind of the, here's the end goal that I want you to get from all of this, and you know, you can check out after this, but just hold on for this, because this is what I want us to talk about for the next couple of weeks. And I want to just say, it's my sermon, or it's my series, um, and I, let me do it in a way that maybe you'll remember, according to The Jungle Book. Now, The Jungle Book, when I was a kid, was my favorite movie. Uh, Disney came out with it in 1967. I loved the Jungle Book, and we bought the record with the soundtrack, and we played that on the big uh, phonograph thing, the, the, the record player deal. And we pl I played that thing over and over again. I loved that song by, by uh, Baloo, The Bare Necessities. I lo loved that song. But there was this other song, and it was with King Louie and Mowgli. Some of you remember King Louie and Mowgli. King Louie was in this orangutan, and, um, and he would, you know, he was... Uh, uh, he was the king of the swingers, the jungle VIP. That, that whole, some of you remember this song, you know? Okay, maybe not, but, but um, he was the king of the swingers, the jungle VIP, and, and he wanted to be a man-man cub and stroll right into town. He wanted to walk like the other man. He's tired of monkeying around. But that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but the course, here's the sermon in the series. In the course of the jungle book, in this song, ooby-doo, I want to be like you, ooh, ooh. I want to walk like you, talk like you, too. You see, it's true, ooh, ooh. 
Someone like me, E.E., can learn to be like someone like you. Amen. No, 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 no. That's the whole point, is that we would walk like Jesus, we would talk like Jesus, that someone like us could be someone like him, that he would say, come, follow me. And that was the whole point, and that's the whole point that I want us to look at. What does it look like for us to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, become more like Jesus, to follow him? And he would use this phrase, follow me, over and over again. It wasn't just on a couple of occasions. I've been struck as I was preparing for this series throughout the the New Testament how many times he would say this. And sometimes he would say it in a a broad-reaching, kind of as a universal principle, that this applies to those who are part of my movement. This applies to those who are part of the kingdom. And he was just saying, this is kind of the way it is. In fact, in John chapter 10, it was, in, it was actually in December. It was, it was, they were preparing to, to celebrate Hanukkah, which to me, anytime I hear that word, I'm so tainted by Adam Sandler and his Hanukkah song. I just immediately go to that. You know, tell your friend Veronica, it's time to celebrate Hanukkah. I hope I get a harmonica. Don't smoke marijuana. That whole song. So anyway, in that song, which by the way, in that song, he talks about all these people who are Jewish and he missed the point. He doesn't include Jesus. Jesus was Jewish and he was preparing to celebrate Hanukkah. I see, we get in our mind that Jesus is going, it's Christmas. There was no Christmas. He's getting ready to celebrate. Okay, I'm getting way off on the rabbit trail here. He's getting ready to celebrate Hanukkah. And the Pharisees come to him and they say, Jesus, the suspense is killing us. This is my translation. You can read it for yourself in John 10. The suspense is killing us. Talk to us plain. Give it to us straight. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, yeah, I've, I've told you, I've told you plainly, but you didn't believe because you're not my sheep. And then he says these words, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and here it is, and they follow me. It's just the way it is. This is what it means to be a part of this kingdom of mine, that you follow me. There'd be another time, a very, very a powerful verse when he said, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is what it means for us. But then there were other times when he would would talk to individuals and not just talk about this broad uh, universal principle for the kingdom, but for this individual. So there's this time at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he has his 12 disciples chosen, and he's been baptized by John the Baptist. He goes through the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, and then he goes around from synagogue to synagogue teaching and, and, and speaking. And some people are loving him. He's getting this reputation for being understandable, and he speaks with authority. And some people don't like him. And actually, he goes to the synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth, and the things he says so upset them, they're trying to kill him. And these are the people he grew up with. So he leaves Nazareth, and he goes north up by the Sea of Galilee, up by Capernaum, where he spent a lot of time. And we read this in Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. We, we hear about him a lot. He's the main player in this story. And his brother Andrew, don't hear about him as much. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. We're going to come back to that later. Now you read this verse, and the mental picture you may have is, well, Jesus is just walking along the seashore, and there are these two guys with a boat. There's just three of them out on the shore. But Matthew leaves some details out of this story. When Luke gives the same account, Luke, remember, was a doctor. Maybe you didn't know that. Luke was a doctor, so he gives a little more detail to the story. That apparently it wasn't just three of them out on the seashore there, on the side of the, of the, of the lake. 
that apparently Jesus was there, and there was a whole crowd, and he was talking, and there was a lot of people. And Jesus did ask this guy, Simon Peter, can I borrow your boat? And they go out in the boat, and Jesus speaks from there, and then there's this miraculous catch. That's all the details that Matthew leaves out, but Luke fills us in on those things. And after all this happens, Jesus talks, he talks to the crowds, they're out in the boat, they have this big catch. Then he comes to them and he says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. And he's not just saying, hey, buy into my philosophy, my way of life, kind of go with the things I'm teaching. He said, no, no, literally, like, follow me. Like, like come on, let, let, let's go. Like, walk with me, let, here we go. And he did, he and his brother did, as did James and John. They began to follow him. And they left their boats, and they left their nets, and they left their home, and they left their family. And they literally followed Jesus. And for the next three, three and a half years, they would walk with him, they would talk with him, they would build this relationship with him, they would see how he interacts with other people, they would understand his perspective, they would hear him teach, they would see how he treated irreligious people, how he interacted with the religious people, all these things. And Peter is just right in there in front row seat on all this stuff. One of Jesus' inner sanctum. I mean, like Peter, James, and John. He was one of the three. He got this front row seat to this life of Jesus as he follows him. And there were times that he disagreed and pushed back. And there were times that Jesus would push back on him. And there were times that he would doubt. And then there were these times where he was just absolutely, absolutely gripped with awe of Jesus and make these commitments that he couldn't follow through with. And then there were these times where this time where he would deny Jesus and actually abandon him. And then Jesus was crucified. And Peter, after having followed Jesus for three, three and a half years, is filled with this guilt, with this blame, with this shame. And he goes back to where he started. He goes back to the boat there in Capernaum. And some of you are familiar with this story. As Jesus is resurrected, he comes to reinstate Peter. And it's that time right there, this, probably at the very same shore, that he first said, come follow me. And he's having this conversation with him. Peter, do you love me more than these? Come feed my sheep, all this stuff. And what I find interesting is this. The very first recorded conversation we have of Jesus with Peter, he says to him, follow me. And this, this scene on the lakeside is the last recorded conversation that we have Jesus with Peter. And I never saw this until preparing for this series. In the last conversation, and he's telling Peter the way that Peter is going to die, and then he says to him in John, he said to him, follow me. See, his life was bookended with this little phrase, the very first conversation he had with Jesus, come follow me. Three years later, the last recorded conversation he has with Jesus, Jesus says, follow me. And he never forgot that. In fact, a little side note, 30 years later, he writes this letter called 1 Peter. You can read this on your own, 1 Peter chapter 2. In that letter, he says to them, Jesus set you an example that you would follow in his steps. He had been told, follow me in all his life. He was about following Jesus. And it wasn't just Peter, it wasn't just individuals. Like I said, there was a time right before the crucifixion where a couple of Greek individuals, not Jewish, so they're kind of outsiders, probably God-fearing Greeks, they've heard about Jesus, they want to meet Jesus, they want to hear Jesus. And in that conversation, Jesus says these words, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be, and my father will honor the one who serves me. Now, here again, I don't, I don't want to get too far down in the details, but I read this, and something strikes me. Whoever serves me must follow me. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, of course, those are intricately uh, you know, connected. They're the same thing. But Jesus puts them out as if 
These are connected, but they're separate. Now, I don't know exactly what Jesus meant by this, but could it be that we can serve Jesus without following him? Could it be that we can jump through all the hoops without having the heart? Could it be that we can do all the rituals and all the regulations without a relationship? Could it be that we could go through all the motions and do all of the what and never own the why that we would follow? Now, what's interesting is as you read through the New Testament, and there's many other instances where he says, follow me. I won't go through all of them. But as you read this, when he says, follow me, every time, when I look at it, it's it's like it's not as much a commandment as it is an invitation. Because there's different ways to to understand or to, to experience someone saying, follow me. Like maybe you've had a teacher that says, follow me, young man, as they go to the principal's office. I, I don't know. I heard that happens. And that's a different kind of follow me. Or maybe there's been a time when someone wants to surprise you and say, hey, follow me. And they're taking you to the garage to show you that new bike or that new car or the new dish or whatever they bought you. And there's that, that follow me and it's an excitement. And when Jesus says, follow me, it's not this, you better follow me, young man. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to something better. It's an invitation to something that's alive, that's fresh, that's flourishing, that's beautiful. Because Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. And have it to the full. So he invites us, follow me. Because I want to take you to something that's better. Something that you were created for. Something that deep down you have longed for. In John 8, Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, see, if you follow me, you don't have to walk in confusion anymore. You don't have to walk in uncertainty. You don't have to walk in the darkness of this world. You can walk not only in light, but the light of life. I'm inviting you, come follow me. And when you look at it in that perspective, I mean, why wouldn't we want to follow Jesus if he's inviting us into this kind of a life, a life that is even so much better? And that's what Jesus is always doing. All right, one one passage that doesn't use directly the words follow me, but in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, which is similar, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you more obligations, commands, and things that will cause your life to be difficult. I will pour on you legalism and rules and stuff that you can't measure up to. No, he says, come to me, you're, you're, you're tired, you're weary, you're burdened, I'll, I'm inviting you, I'll, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And that whole thing, I I think about, the only thing I know about yokes are these big wooden things where they would put two oxen together. It's kind of like saying, come with, saddle up with me, cowboy. Kind of what he, that's my translation. You know, come in my van, sit by me, you know, get on my team. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Like, follow me. Understand the way I see things. Understand the way I connect with God. Understand the priorities of my life. Understand how I, how I interact with people who are far from God, how I interact with people who are close to God. Come and learn from me. Years ago, uh, before it became controversial, and I don't want to get into the controversy thing, but years ago, Rob Bell had this very famous talk that, that kind of just spread throughout the United States. The title of the talk, and was part of his talk, came from a line that apparently came out of the Mishnah. I've never read the Mishnah, so I don't know, but apparently it came out of the Mishnah. And the name of the talk was Covered in the Dust of the Rabbi. And the whole concept from the Mishnah is this, that when you would follow a rabbi, 
that you would literally follow them so close as they walked along a dusty path, the dust from their footprints, footsteps would come up and actually cover you because you're walking with them that closely. You're following them that closely. But it wasn't just a literal thing. It was a metaphorical thing that as you walked with a rabbi, as you learned from a rabbi, that the dust of their life, the dust of their attitude, the dust of their perspective, the dust of their interpretation of Scripture, the dust of their relationships would come on you that, in essence, as you follow Jesus, the more you follow him, learn from him, the more that you're covered with this, don't take this too far, this Jesus dust, not like pixie dust, this Jesus dust, that we, we become a little more like Jesus. You know, it's, it's interesting, because we just use the word Christian and never think much of it. The word Christian only occurs like two, maybe three times in the New Testament. Like the early followers of Jesus, they didn't say, hey, we're, we're Christians. Come be a part of this. We got, we got Christian music. We got Christian groups. We got a Christian church. They didn't use that term. In fact, you can read this on your own. In Acts chapter 11, the first time anyone ever used the word Christian for these Jesus followers, most commentary, commentators uh, believe that it wasn't the, the followers of Jesus who came up with this term like, hey, let's call ourselves Christians. It was actually those who were outsiders who used it probably as a derogatory term to these people who followed Jesus, and they began to call them Christians, Christians, which literally translated little Christs, like mini-me, like we're little versions of Christ. And it was, it was used as a derogatory term, and we have adopted it as, yes, that's what we're striving to be, little Christ, not in a divine nature, but more like him, ooby doo I want to walk like you. I want to be a little Christ. I want to talk like you, too. Someone like me can learn to be like someone like you. That we can become like Christ, little Christs, in the way that we live our lives, covered with his dust. So he says, learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm inviting you to this life. I like how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, says that the back end of these verses, he says it this way. Walk with me. Work with me. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And Jesus just invites, follow me. Here's the other thing that's interesting. It's not just this this invitation that Jesus gives there, when he says, not, not a commandment, but an invitation. But it's an open invitation. Like, anybody is invited to follow him. Sometimes when you have an organization or a club or a team, I mean, there's criteria, there's requirements, there's prerequisites, there, there, there's a standard that you have to set. Not so, Jesus said, anyone can follow me. Well, I think it was Groucho Marx that said, I won't, own, I won't be a part of any organization that would have someone like me as a member. <laughs> and Jesus would say, come follow me. You can be a member. See, when I, when I mentioned that Peter and Andrew were fishermen, pointed that out, nothing wrong with being a fisherman. But fishermen were probably not formally educated beyond just the basics. It was a family business. It's what they learned from their father, who learned from his father. And, and that was just what they were going to do. They were not the elite of society. They may not have been that great in religion, but Jesus said, come follow me. I told you a couple weeks ago, my favorite line out of the whole Christmas story was spoken to the shepherds, who were definitely not the elite, who were definitely uneducated, who were definitely ceremonially unclean, not allowed in the temple. And he says, this is good news of great joy for all the people. 
And as we will see next week, the most unlikely of unlikely, Jesus invites with his open invitation, come follow me. So it didn't matter. It didn't matter age. I mean, he would, he would look at little children in that society who were just like, no, put them away. And the disciples were saying, just kind of send them off to the nursery or whatever. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Unless you become like a little child, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. And the little kids, come follow me. Old people, come follow me. Poor people, come follow me. Rich people, the rich young ruler. He says, listen, sell all you've got. Come follow me. I'll give you what you're really hungry for, what you're really thirsty for. People who were religious, people who were irreligious, people who were close to God, people who were far from God. He would open the invitation to Pharisees. Come follow me. Some of them did, most did not. But he opened the invitation. He would open the invitation to prostitutes. Come follow me. And some of them did. He would open the invitation to teachers of the law and to tax collectors. Now, this is what we just need to understand. Are you sitting in this room or watching online right now? Because some of you are saying, well, this all sounds great, but, but it's not for me. Like, I mean, you don't know me and my life and my sin or the things I'm going through, the things I'm still going through, the things I've done, the things I'm still doing. You know, you know I mean, there, there's sin in my life. This doesn't apply to me. Read through the New Testament. It appears to me that everyone Jesus said, follow me to, for them, sin was not a disqualification. It was a prerequisite. Everyone he asked to follow him were sinners. That's why he said, I've come to save sinners. Come to seek and save that which is lost. There's a woman at the well, a Samaritan, who's got this horrendous past, morally and relationally. Jesus invites her to follow him. So no matter where you are in that, Jesus says, I don't care. I want you to follow me. You might be saying, well, okay, I get that, but you don't understand. I I don't know if I even believe this stuff fully. I mean, I've got questions. I've got doubts. I've got all this stuff with science, and I've got all the the Bible and this book, this old document. I, I, I don't know. Listen, one of Jesus' 12 disciples had a nickname. His given name was Thomas, but there was this nickname because of kind of his... His mindset. What, what was his nickname? Yeah. How would you like to be known as Doubting Thomas? And Jesus says, yeah, I, I know you don't always believe. Most of his disciples didn't believe. They, they weren't sure until later. And he says, you know, it doesn't matter. Come follow me. Even if you don't have all your questions answered, just, just follow me. And maybe you say, well, I, okay, that, I get that, but I, mean, I don't know if I can like, commit to, I'll never do this again. I promise all this and the rest of it. Okay, okay, listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not comparing you to this person. There was a guy named Judas who didn't end well, didn't follow all the way through. Jesus still invited him to follow. See, there's this open invitation for every single one of us, no matter where we are. He says, just come follow me. And not only is it this open invitation, but you see, as you read the New Testament, this, this is intensely relational invitation. That it wasn't an invitation to come and, and keep a bunch of rules and go to church on Sunday and make sure you have your quiet time. It was this invitation to have a relationship with Jesus. And as these people would follow him, he would show them that they could have a relationship not just with him, but with God. And that that's what it was really all about. It was about relating to God and, and not having just this rituals of rules that you have to follow. And I mentioned before that, that he had a way of making things simple. And I, and I referred to this when he was asked about 
what is the greatest commandment? There were 613 of these commandments in the oral tradition and the interpretations and all these things. In Matthew it says, they asked him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, and he tells them an answer they already know. Because he quotes Deuteronomy 6, which was referred to as the Shema, which was something as a little child they would have memorized. They were taught every morning before you get out of bed, you say the Shema every night before you fall asleep. The last thing you say is the Shema. This was a part of their life. They'd done this their whole life. And he says, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And they're like, well, yeah, I know. We do that all the time. But Jesus... For Jesus, it wasn't just a verse that he had memorized, and it wasn't just a a mantra in the morning and at night. When they saw Jesus, they saw that that it was real. I mean, it was alive. It was life-giving. It was fresh. It was this beautiful thing that he invites them to. Not this lifeless obligation, but this loving God. And he would just say, follow me. Follow me. Now, in in the last few minutes here of our time together, I want to hone in on one area that we see with Jesus and his disciples, and it applies to us, about what does it look like to follow Jesus? Especially in this life-giving, flourishing connection with God. And it has to do with, with prayer. Because Jesus not only told parables about prayer, which he did, He not only taught directly about prayer, which he did. He not only gave examples of prayer, which he did. But Jesus modeled it. He lived it. And there's a time in Luke 11. I'm not going to look at it. You can look it on your own later. In Luke 11, it said, after Jesus had prayed in a certain place, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, obviously, he wasn't doing that just to, to teach them. He was just doing this because this is how he lived his life. And his disciples saw this. And they saw that when he prayed, it was different. And that when he connected with God, it was different. And they wanted that. So they come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And what he states for us has become so familiar, we've become inoculated to how revolutionary it was. They're very familiar words out of Matthew. In the same time, he says to them, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. We say, yeah, that's our Father. It's the Lord's Prayer. We know that. No, no, this was new, because God was to be feared and revered, which he is. But Jesus says, no, 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 you come to him as your father, not as a reflection of your earthly father, as the perfection of what it means to have a father. That there's this family relationship where he's committed to you, where he cares for you, where he has compassion for you, where he is invested in you. You come to God as a father where there's this familiarity and there's comfort and there's freedom to be honest and that you know that you're going to be loved and you're going to be accepted, that you come to this father. And as he would teach this and model this, he began to just show that all of life is about a connection with the father. And for Jesus, the way this connection happened so often was when he would pray. And as they saw, not just what, the, what he taught, but at, what they caught from him, what they saw in him was that prayer for him was not some obligation that he had to do. It was a privilege that he got to engage in. And it wasn't just some empty religious formula thing. But it was the very source of the power. In fact, there was one time when the disciples were struggling with something, and they said, Jesus, how come we couldn't do this? He said, some things only happen when you begin to pray and fast. This was the source of power. And it wasn't just some extracurricular 
tag-on optional accessory, but it was the priority of his life. And they saw this. Yeah, he taught about it. Yeah, he told stories about it. Yeah, he gave him examples, but he lived it. Like there's this time, and Mark re- records this, and it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. <laughs> Notice, none of the disciples did. They're all sleeping in. But Jesus got up, and he goes to pray. And then when they're trying to worship Jesus, they go out and find him, and he's praying. They see this is how he lives his life. Now, some of you who are not morning people hate this verse. <laughs> you love the winter solstice because it's still dark until 9.30 in the morning. Now you can finally follow this verse. Anyway. Maybe some of you who are not morning people would maybe identify with Dr. Luke. Maybe he was more of a nine person because Dr. Luke says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, there we have it. What they saw was that, yeah, this isn't just something Jesus teaches. This isn't just something he quotes. This is something that he lives. And it brings life to him. This connection with the Father. Now, I just got to tell you, I don't understand all of this because I believe that Jesus and the Father are one, so I don't know how all this thing works out. I don't know when Jesus is praying to the Father, he's praying to himself, and at the end he says, and in my name, amen. I don't know how all that works out. But what I do know is this. If Jesus found that prayer was so important that it was the source of his power and connection with God, and it was a privilege. If Jesus did that, if I'm going to follow him, then I need to understand and exercise this beautiful privilege that I'm invited into of praying and connecting with my Heavenly Father. And to know that the power of God is channeled as we pray. And that this should become important, not in a legalistic obligation way, but in a way that it was for Jesus that just brought life breathed fresh air into his spirit. And what if we would do that? You know, I mentioned last week that I really believe in this conviction in my heart that we need to become a church that has a higher priority on prayer like we used to have. And maybe this is a place where we just start. And I don't want to say, well, you got to get up before it's dark. you got to stay all night. I don't want to tell you when, where, how long, whatever. I don't want it to be an obligation of legality of, of this, you know, I've got to just do this duty. I want us to follow Jesus. I want us to experience what he experienced. I want us to discover what he knew. And so you're saying, well, I don't, I don't, the prayer thing, I don't know how to pray. Okay, if that's you, let me help you out with how to pray. Start this way. Say, you don't even have to close your eyes. Say, Jesus, ooh, be, do. I want to be like you, ooh, ooh. I want to walk like you and talk like you, too. Because you see, it's true, ooh, ooh. Someone like me can learn to be like someone like you. Amen. What an amazing prayer. What a prayer of saying, I want to follow you. I want to surrender to you. I want to know what it means to be like you. What a great place to start, to pray this way. You know, maybe 
Maybe at times, and I know there's nuanced intricacies of being a disciple of Christ. I understand all that. But maybe sometimes we make it way too complicated. And maybe the question that we need to be asking ourselves daily is this. Am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? What does that mean? In my relationships, in my priorities, in the way I talk, in my, my thoughts, in my attitudes, in my perspective, in, in my goals, in my, my, my dreams, am, am I following Jesus? And I just want to say, as your pastor, that's what I long for all of us, is that we would just be followers of Jesus in all of our lives. And I believe that's what Jesus wants from us. And I believe that's what Jesus believes will happen. Back to John chapter 10. And Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So here's what I want you to do, if you're open. This week, begin to understand that this, this two words, follow me, is this invitation to life. And begin to follow Jesus in this privilege of connecting with God in prayer. And I don't know exactly what that looks like for you. Maybe it's to just start praying. Maybe it's to set aside some time. Maybe it's throughout the day. Maybe it's all the above. But I don't want it to be this legalistic obligation of some ritual that you're going through that's empty. But to follow Jesus, to see that it brings life. It's a privilege. It's where God's power is directed. And it becomes a part of us. Why don't you stand as we close, as we continue to strive with this following Jesus. And, and I, I want to take a little bit of a risk here uh, to try and do this. We'll, we'll see if it works. Um, as part of our closing, some of you are aware of this, and some of you, if this is like, what's that about? Just listen. But would you guys just join me in singing? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Jesus, that's our prayer. Ooby do. We want to be like you. We want to walk like you and talk like you too. So help people like us be more like someone like you. Amen. Amen. Follow me, Jesus said. Hey, if you'd like prayer, our prayer team be here in the front. Love to pray with you. Have a great afternoon. Take this great invitation to follow Jesus. I love you. You're out of here. Go Hawks. <laughs>